All right, the Among Us conference is coming up on February 7th to the 18th. Remember, uh, with our calendar rhythm, the conference time is when we kind of ramp up with a bunch of content. So during the week, there will be a lot of uh, digital content, and uh, we'll have guest speakers on Sunday. And it's all related to our Among Us theme that we've been talking about. So February 9th, uh, we'll have a virtual conference that Tuesday with um, Beth and Buck Webb. Uh, Beth and Buck Webb have been doing children's ministry for uh, over 20 years, or I should say family ministry, sorry, for over 20 years. And um, they've got a lot of wisdom that they're going to share with us about parenting. And then Wednesday, we have Worship Well that will be here in person. Um, Remember, the idea of Worship Well is to engage all of who we are in worship to God, our our physical, emotional, spiritual, all of it um, engaged in worship of God. And for Worship Well, uh, we are going to have a conversation with me and Julia Bratton, a uh, psychologist here in town, and we're just going to sit and talk about peacemaking and how we can make peace in our relationships with one another. And then Thursday, we have another online virtual interview with Dr. Brent Bounds. He is a counselor in New York City. He's worked at Redeemer Church. He um, he graduated from Wheaton and went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about marriage with Dr. Brent Bounds and some give some really good uh, tools for working on our marriage. And thanks, I don't know if Bevan said this yet. Did he? Am I repeating this? Did I miss it? I wasn't paying attention when he was talking. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I listened to Jim, not Bevan. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jim. So, <laughs> giving thanks for your gifts, um, for uh, giving to support the mission of our church. You can give online at lifebridge.church. You can give um, on Venmo or the boxes at the at either end of the hallway here. So thank you for your generosity and for helping uh, contribute to the mission of LifeBridge here in Burlington. <clears throat> oh, there it all is. Okay, it's all up there. So the, the ones that I didn't mention are February 7th, John Reynolds is going to be here to preach on the multi-ethnic church. And then uh, February 14th is no longer TVD. We got that one nailed down. We are going to um, have... John is going to be talking with his parents, Steve and Lisa Thorngate, about the multi-generational church and how generations within the church can interact together and worship together and help one another grow and learn from each other. So we're looking forward to that. And then February 15th through the 18th, we have um, Pete. We're doing a uh, course here on the emotionally healthy relationships. There is a fee for that course, for, for child care, for food. We're providing food and for the course. So it's a uh, set fee for the four days. And each night, come here and we'll, we'll meet, we'll eat, and we'll go through this. It'll be great. It should be fun. So mark your calendars for all that stuff. There's a lot going on. That's all online. Okay, so you can find all the info for that. All right. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon today. Lord, God, we praise you. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for uh, the ability to worship in community that we have. Lord, I pray for our time together that it would be honoring to you. Pray that our hearts would be right towards you. God, we pray that um, our love, our devotion for you and for one another would be evident in our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our... 
campaign is called Among Us, and right now we're going through Romans 12 through 16, and today we're going to finish it up. Uh, this week in the devotional, we're going to finish up the whole, the whole uh, chapters, second half of chapter 15 into 16. Riveting, I know. That's a good introduction. You guys are like, yes, I'm so excited to finish <laughs> the book. But remember where we are, okay? Uh, remember, Paul had just talked to them in chapters 14 and 15, his primary application being how um, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians were going to interact together in community. And there were a lot of obstacles, a lot of uh, things revolving around primarily the Old Testament dietary laws, of whether or not they'd be able to eat together and meet together, be in the same room. So Paul writes them a lot about how they can make this new community thing work. And remember, big picture of scripture, this is huge. This is, the people of God is now everybody, okay? So for, throughout most of redemption history, God was focused on the Jews up to this point. And, and they were to be isolated and set apart and to be holy. And they had a process to bring in new believers into their Jewish communities, but it was quite extensive, and it, it didn't happen a ton. Now, the main driver of the church is, this is going out to the ends of the earth. The people of God is everybody, and with that comes a lot of complexities. What about all of those things that separated the Jewish people from the rest of the communities, like Sabbath uh, observation, like dietary laws? like things like circumcision. What do we do with these now? The primary emphasis was to make us different, obviously different from the rest of the world. Now that they are one community, what happens with those things? And Paul goes through a long list of some are going to practice this, some are convicted about it, some aren't. Uh, just show grace for each other, accept one another. So in areas like that, he calls these disputable matters or opinions, there is freedom and grace for Christians to practice different things on those. Remember, those are the categories we're talking about. We're not talking about things like essential doctrine or primary ethics, okay? Because there are other places in Paul's letters where he specifically says, <laughs> you have to behave this way. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to believe these things. Here, he gives a lot of grace and freedom. All right, so closing out the book, um, Paul's, I'm just going to run through really quickly what happens, what he says, the rest of the book, and then we're going to zoom in on one section, okay? So he's, so that's the main context, what I just outlined, um, Jews, Gentiles, and the people of God together. Paul talks a good bit about his calling to be the apostle to the Gentiles, so his mission from Christ was to go into all of these areas where Jesus hadn't been preached before and go preach there. And he gives, this is really exciting, he gives his travel itinerary in the letter, which is fascinating. I'm sure you guys can't wait to read that. Basically, he says he's taking a gift, but what it does is it grounds it in history, right? He's taking a gift to Jerusalem um, from all the churches in Greece and present-day Turkey. He gathered up a gift from them. He's taking it to Jerusalem. And then he says his plan is to go to Rome and to visit them there doesn't end up working out like that because he gets arrested. So you can read about this all in Acts at the end of the book of Acts. He gets arrested when he's in Jerusalem, and he makes it to Rome as a prisoner. So Acts is a much more interesting read if you want to follow what Paul actually did there. And we don't know if he ever made it to Spain or not, which was his plan, and he mentions that in Romans. But anyways, so then he lists a ton of names, which we're going to read today. Normally when you read the Bible and you come up to a long list of names and genealogies, you're like, 
can I just like skim read this? Like I feel guilty about not reading it because it's still the Bible, but I don't understand any of this, what's going on here. Uh, what Paul says here is actually fascinating, which you, we, we can't really see it because it's translated into English, um, but it's fascinating what he says, and it, it really contributes to his purpose, so we're going to f- focus on that. Um, then he tells them to avoid anyone who causes divisions and creates obstacles contrary to the doctrine that the, he is teaching. So this strikes a very different tone than he did in 14 and 15. Right? 14 and 15 is welcome everybody. Like, be united and one under Christ. These differences shouldn't divide us. Here he's like, people are teaching these things, avoid them. Like, don't talk to them. So there are different categories of things that Paul's thinking of here. So then uh, he sends greetings, tells them that the people he's working with greets him, and then he closes with his doxology. But we're going to read 16, 1 through 2, and a bunch of names. So this is super exciting. You guys are going to love this. I'm going to butcher a lot of names. So. You get to laugh at me for that. But this is really important because it contributes to Paul's purpose a ton, which we'll talk about at the end, okay? So just gear up with me. I'll make some comments as we go through. He says, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. So what that means is he is sending the letter with Phoebe. So he, he uh, gives it to her. He's probably in Corinth right now. He gives it to her. She's traveling to Rome. She's going to travel to Rome, and her job, she is tasked with the job of delivering the letter, not just like handing it to the churches. She comes in and she's going to speak it to the church. Paul most likely had trained her and talked with her a good bit so that she understood what he was trying to say, so that she could explain to the churches, these house churches, what he means and elaborate on these things a little more, answer any questions they might have. He's probably taught her like, hey, here's who I'm talking about. Maybe even give these folks a good like, glance when you say this. Who knows? But she was charged with the task of taking it to the churches in Rome and delivering it to them and speaking this letter, likely reading it out loud in the church to them. And then he says, Phoebe, she is a deacon of the church in Cancrea. So Cancrea is a port city of Corinth, so it's most likely that Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. And she is a deacon, That's her official office, her title, within the church of Corinth. It says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord. So notice as we're reading through this, how many times Paul says, in Christ, in the Lord. That should cue you into one of his main themes. In a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So Phoebe was likely wealthy. And she funded a lot of Paul's mission and ministry. And he obviously thought very highly of her if he is entrusting her with his uh, most extensive doctrinal teaching on salvation through the Gentiles. That is the book of Romans. So he, he holds her in very high regard. And she has funded a lot of his mission. So, okay. He's sending her with the letter. He writes a lot about her. So Paul respects her. Verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, okay? So these people show up in other places in Scripture as well, in the New Testament. And so they're likely married, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is a female name, and Aquila is a masculine name. It says they're my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. We don't know how, but they did. Most likely when there was a riot in Ephesus and Paul was almost killed. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So the interesting thing here is that Priscilla is always mentioned first in 
whenever Paul mentions them. He mentions Priscilla first. And in a patriarchal culture, it's a little strange. There's a few reasons scholars think that is the case. Um, most likely, it's because Priscilla holds a higher status. She is most likely wealthy and um, more well-known in the culture. So there is actually, uh, archaeologists uncovered an inscription from this time period in Rome, which indicated that Priscilla uh, was a wealthy landowner, owner of a very large estate in Rome. We don't know if this is the Priscilla, obviously, but it's possible that she was. He goes on, verse 5. Greet also the churches that meet at their house. So that's one house church. What we see here is uh, scholars divide this up and see that there's likely five house churches in Rome or more. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Okay, this one, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the devotional, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version here. Um, okay, Junia is a feminine name. This is a couple, most likely, Andronicus and Junia. And Paul says that they are his fellow Jews who have been in prison with him. They are outstanding among the apostles. Okay, this caused a lot of tension in, throughout the centuries of the church. Paul considers uh, Andronicus and Junia among the apostles. Okay, so what does he mean by that? First of all, uh, there's a female among the apostles. And um, what does he mean by apostles here? Because the term apostle just means sent one generally. So it could be that he just means that they are sent to what we would think of as a present-day missionary. Paul considered himself to be an apostle in like a secondary sense. So if you read 1 Corinthians 15, I believe the language he uses is he is like an apostle uh, as one who is abnormally born. Okay, So he's an apostle, but in a different way. Because one of the main criteria of being an apostle is like, is experiencing ministry with Jesus while he was on earth. So the original 12 disciples, they're like the 12 apostles, like that category. So not, he doesn't mean it in that sense, certainly. But then there's a secondary sense of Paul and like James, the brother of Jesus, who weren't his direct disciples, like Barnabas, who Paul considers to be apostles as well. So it's most likely that they're in that secondary category. Um, or he could be referring to this as just the general... Uh, sent one or missionary, but he's most likely referring to these two in the same category as himself. Okay, so they hold a very, very high position of authority within the church, especially the Church of Rome. It says, Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my co worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. I'm, I'm not even to the tough part yet, and I'm like, How do I pronounce these words? Okay, greet. <laughs> Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me 
two. Okay, this is where it gets tough. This is where you got to give me grace as like the old uh, kid who grew up on a farm, all right? And just, yeah. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Don't do that, literally. Okay, that won't go well for you. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Okay, so to summarize this, um, I couldn't, I tried to like write this into a concise, like big idea, and I could not get it down. Okay, so Paul's, I think, trying to accomplish four things with this list of names. One is he's demonstrating the diversity of the church. Okay, this is really hard for us to see because these names are in English and we're not familiar with a lot of this. But within these names, there are Jews. He mentions a few of them. There are Greeks and there are Latin names. Okay, so we can't make too much of this because Paul, as an example, had a, a, a Jewish name and a Latin name or a Greek name. Uh, in, in Greek areas, he would go by Paul and in Jewish areas, he would go by Saul. So that, there's some of that going on. But the fact that he mentions all these different names shows that there was a lot of diversity there. Uh, a lot of women, as we noticed. He mentions a ton of women in this, in this list, which is fairly irregular for lists of greetings within this day and age. And then the other thing that we can't really see is there are likely a lot of uh, names of slaves or freed men and freed women in this list. So what that means is they, they had been indentured servitude to where they worked off their debt and then they were free or some way. They were able to purchase their freedom, which the church became well known for in the first centuries, is uh, of purchasing the freedom of those slaves who they could. So you've got wealthy people. <laughs> you've got slaves and freedmen in their households. You've got famous people. And you have men, you have women, you have Jews, you have Greeks, you have uh, people of Roman heritage. All in the church, and Paul lists all of them. Okay? So that's one thing he's trying to do is demonstrate that this is a very diverse church. And then next, uh, the identity of the source of their unity. I counted 13 times that he says in Christ in these passages, or some derivative of that. He, he's identifying that, hey, in the midst of all these diverse names, you're in Christ, and that's what matters. Your unity, what unites you, is that you are a part of the body of Christ. Then he communicates his love for them. Okay, so in the NIV, which we read it out of, it translates it, uh, my dear friend. Okay, the, the, the word that he uses is the root of the word agape. Or the root of the word is agape, love. Okay, Christian love. So the ESV translates this beloved. He says, my beloved, <laughs> writes it out. Okay. He really cares for these people. He has a warm affection, a genuine affection for these people. He really, really loves them, those whom he knows. And then, um, band, you guys can come up and get set. <clears throat> and then finally, he's pointing out who they should listen to. Okay? It's kind of not so subtle. right? Imagine, he <laughs> Imagine Phoebe comes into town. Uh, she comes to church that Sunday, and she's reading Paul's letter. And think of it less in a setting like this, more in like a household setting. Okay, so this is like a small group type setting situation where they're sitting either like around a table 
They're out in the courtyard. They're up on the roof, something. They're all kind of sitting around together. Groups of you know, 30, maybe, to 50 people would fit in these homes. And that was their house church. And Phoebe's reading this out loud to everybody, saying, greet all of these folks. Okay, and you're like, oh, I know. I know Rufus. He's right there. And like all the people that he mentions, like, I know them. There they are. Oh, okay, hi. What Paul is doing here is he's pointing out the people who he trusts, who he's saying, hey, listen to these folks. These guys know my gospel that he's preaching and what and how to communicate it. Because in 15, 14, just a few verses earlier, he says that he is convinced that they are full of goodness and they're filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. So what he's saying here is, I can't write to you everything. These guys have my respect. These guys are credible. Listen to them. What he's going to say later is, avoid people who are teaching different doctrine, right? So he's saying, listen to these folks. These guys know what they're talking about. All right, let's pray, and then we'll worship, and I'll come up and apply this later. Lord, God, we praise you for your word. And God, we thank you for your church that you are building. And Lord, ultimately, that our that the church is founded in you, that you are the foundation of it, Lord. So God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship with one another and to demonstrate your love to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand, let's sing together. All right, you guys can have a seat for a few minutes. So we begin applying this text. Uh, first thing I think that we should see is that our experience of church should be a diverse one. I think that's racially, economically, we talked about that last week, economically, that our experience of church, we should know people who are white collar, blue collar, okay, everything in between. Socially, People who are super popular, like the uh, popular kids in high school, the not popular kids in high school. Generationally, which we're going to talk about, we should be able to interact with each other. If you were to think of a list of names that you were writing a letter to at your church, right? Think of who's on that list, uh, your list that Paul outlines here. Remember, the diverse range of people that Paul sends this message to. If everybody kind of is the same on your list, in terms of gender, race, economics, socially, generationally. If everybody's in the same kind of block on your list, that's probably not great. Something needs to change there. If it isn't, then I would encourage you to just work towards that. And how do you work towards that? You just hang out with somebody who's different than you. (laughs) This isn't rocket science. So if you're thinking of your list right now that you would write, if you were writing a letter to LifeBridge, right, to your church, and it's not very diverse, 
in any sense. I would encourage you like this week to try to schedule something, to meet up with somebody who doesn't, who's not in your phase of life, who maybe comes from a different cultural background than you, or from a different church background than you, or economic background, something. It starts with just a simple like, hey, let's grab coffee. Let's talk. You want to come over for dinner? I think what Paul's getting at here is hospitality it has to be so is so important for the church. And if you're sitting there thinking, like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> what do we talk about with people who are really different than us? That makes awkward conversation, and it's really tough. I got you. All right, y'all, you always have Jesus in common. You can talk about Jesus. I, I dare you. I dare you to ask somebody, like, tell me your story and keep that meeting to less than an hour. It doesn't happen. Every time I ask somebody, I met with someone this week and I asked him his story. And I, he was a pretty reserved guy. And oh my gosh, he talked for like 90% of the hour. But we had a good conversation after I heard his story. And I could kind of ask him about certain aspects of his story and what he thought about Jesus. Remember how many times Paul says in Christ in this? Probably 13 times in, this, in these few verses. What he's doing is he's pointing them to the, the truth that you guys have Jesus in common. So yeah, all your names are different. Um, come from different backgrounds. You have all these disagreements, all of these, all of these differences. But at the end of the day, you have Christ in common because we're all in Christ. Remember Paul's favorite phrase, favorite picture of the church is the body of Christ. That we collectively are in Christ and we make up Christ. So we have this in common. That we can always talk about Jesus together. Because he's the one who forms the core of our identity. And if that's true, we have a lot in common. So no matter how many other differences you have, You've got Jesus. And the next, we should really care for people in the church. So as you're thinking about that list of the people that you would write a letter to like this, remember Paul calls them his beloved. Hey, I would like to hear Chuck talk about this and hear where he goes. <laughs> My beloved, I get down on his knees and like <laughs> the way he talks to his wife, Linda. <laughs> okay, we don't have to do that in the church. That's weird and awkward and nobody, you'll get slapped probably for sure. Especially if you try to kiss him after you do that, try to follow Paul's <laughs> direct <laughs> imperative there. But this is, this is one of the things that has kept me at church my whole life and why I love church so much is when I look out on Sunday, when we talk out in the lobby, I see so many of you and I just love you guys. <laughs> Sounds awkward, weird, right? <laughs> You're like, hmm. but I really love you guys. And that has always been my experience of church that the relationships that I have here are built on Christ, 
as the core, the foundation, the identity. And we have a ton of other differences of interests. Not a lot of folks here play hoops with me. Stuff like that. I like the bears, right? Puts me in a very minority category around here. <laughs> but in spite of all of these differences, what I've noticed throughout my life is I just have this love, this deep-seated affection for people in the church that we should love one another. So, again, if this doesn't characterize your church experience, if as you're thinking about the list of folks that you would be writing this letter to and what you would say to them, how many folks can you honestly say, I love you? Or my dear friend, as the NIV translates it, my beloved. Because what should characterize our church experience is unity in Christ and a real love for one another. If that doesn't characterize your church experience, again, I think, I think the way forward is the same. Get coffee with somebody who's different than you. Invite them over for dinner. We always say that church is much more than what happens here on Sunday morning. You don't develop relationships like this on Sunday morning. You just don't. It has to be more than this. It has to be the Monday through Saturday, living life together, the being in a circle together, getting coffee, texting each other prayer requests. How are you doing today? All that stuff. The things that you do with the people that you love. We should have those relationships here at church. And if you don't, I think it starts right there. Just get coffee with somebody. Have them over for dinner. Be hospitable. You have to... It might be awkward. <laughs> it's going to be risky. Feel weird. But that's how these relationships are built. And we know that. But for so many of us, we have other relationships. We have... 500 Facebook friends, whatever. We have the illusion of intimate relationships because we have so many relationships. It's the whole deep and wide thing, right? You may have a lot, but not very close, very real relationships. That's what we want to cultivate here, and that's what we're working towards. And next, again, what Paul is trying to do here point out, hey, here's the folks that you guys should be listening to. We should find voices that we hold in high regard here. And what I mean by that is when we've, we've developed relationships like what we've talked about, unity in Christ, diversity of expressions, of opinions, and who we are, all of that. People that we really genuinely love and care about and who care for us and have proved it over time. People who have invested in your life, who loved you, love you, and have proved it over time. And those who have demonstrated biblical, godly wisdom, they should have a louder voice in your life than the preacher who has a huge megachurch. Or the guy you listen to 
on Monday at work who's preaching on the radio. More than the YouTube influencer. More than the co-worker who just kind of tells you what you want to hear. Because sometimes I think we, just, we value the wrong things in who we give influence to in our lives. We value more the ability of someone to turn a phrase and say something in a way that you'll remember. Instead of seasoned wisdom. Even though it may take them a longer time to say what they want to say and it may not be as memorable, they're invested in your life, they've proved it over time, they love you, and they're here. We value things like the ability to draw a crowd instead of a commitment to tell you the truth when you need to hear it. We value things like good looks instead of a good heart. Don't write this one off too fast, right? Psychologists know this to be true. That when we're hearing something from somebody who is attractive, we're more likely to listen to it. Even though our scripture says the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. We value things like time spent on air instead of Time spent with you, personally. So think through who you are giving influence in your life and how much. And the voices of those who have proven that they have loved you and care for you, are you giving them the influence that you should? Again, if you're listening to all of this and you don't, like, this doesn't really describe your church experience. Schedule a time to just hang out with somebody from church in the next two weeks. Preferably somebody who's a little different than you. Maybe a different generation. Maybe he comes from a different church background, has different ways of thinking, different socioeconomic status. I don't know. Do something, because church is more than what happens here. This is an integral part of what church is. But this can't be all of it. So John and, I, John and I are excluded from this, by the way. Not that we shouldn't like reach out to other people, but you all can't ask us to hang out over the next two weeks, okay? <laughs> ask each other, hang out with each other. We just don't have time for that. <laughs> if we have a meeting on the calendar, though, I'll still meet with you. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not going to like... Just clear my calendar and be like, I'm not meeting with you, I'm out. No. <laughs> but hang out with each other and get to know one another so that we can develop these deep relationships. We can prove that we love one another. Because, guys, hospitality is at the heart of this. Again, even thinking of the context of what was happening here, when this letter was being read, they're meeting together in a home. They have house churches. It's so much more close. It's so much more intimate and real. And the old, like, Christianese phrase, they're doing life together, right? <laughs> that was their church. It's so much more than what happens here on Sunday morning. So we have to work at it to cultivate these relationships, to be unified in Christ, to love one another, to experience our differences. 
and find voices that we hold in high regard. Lord, God, we need your help in all of this to love one another more deeply. Lord, to cherish and value our differences. Lord, I pray that you would foster and create this environment here where we can love one another. We can grow into the type of people that you want us to be in community. Lord, we thank you that our relationships, our church, everything is just based on you. That you're at the heart of it all. So Lord, I pray that we would Look to your example, follow your leading, follow your teaching. And Lord, that you would create a community here that loves you and pursues you first and foremost and loves one another because of how much we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.